standing at the end of the aisle, I saw my wife, Nancy, in her wedding dress, making her way towards me, and I was filled with excitement and love and a lot of nerves. Holding each of my three children after they were born in my arms and looking down at them and being in awe at what God had entrusted to us. Stepping outside with my my family when I was a young kid, uh, looking off towards the west and seeing a a tornado coming towards our farm and and, and just being in awe of the the power of, of nature and just the noise and the size and what was going on in the sky. Driving west on I-70 during college over spring break with one of my buddies in his little sports car. The windows rolled down, U2 blasting, uh, middle of the night, stars out on our way to a ski trip. Hiking with my oldest son in in Colorado, uh, miles from everybody else up on on a ledge, looking down into a valley and seeing elk. A herd of elk making their way to an alpine lake. Being in the back of a 65 Chevy Bel Air, my brother, my sister, and I, no air conditioning, windows down on a 2,000-mile journey through Yellowstone, the Black Hills, Idaho, the Great Salt Lake, Colorado, and back home. That's my earliest memory. I was about three years old. All these are memories that I have that are so powerful and meaningful to me. And there are many, many others that I could could share, and as I'm sure you have memories as well. Memories are so powerful, aren't they? Uh, certain smells, certain songs, certain words, certain people, certain pictures, and it, it takes us back to something that was powerful or maybe even painful in our lives. You know, memories are, are, are so important, and God designed us to have memories, and I'm so thankful that he did. Memories are so important because they, they help us to remember, don't they? They help us to remember good and bad, help us remember lessons learned, pain experienced, joy experienced, love that's shared, victories won, small, important things that maybe aren't important to others but are meaningful to us. Memories are so important, and maybe that's why it's so hard for us when sometimes memories begin to diminish and fade. Whether it's through age or time, other distractions, busyness of life, sometimes disease. When we begin to lose memories, it's, it's, a, it's a tough thing, isn't it? And so we do everything we can to keep our memories alive, right? We have family Bibles with genealogy and important dates, births, marriages, deaths. We keep memoirs, some of us. We write in journals or diaries. We, we keep family films. We pull out photo albums. Memories keep us grounded, and they, they help us define our identity, who we are, who our people are, where we've come from. And so as parents, as grandparents, as adults, as teachers, we, we want to pass those memories on, don't we, to our, to our younger generation. We want to pass them along the stories and the memories because we don't want anybody to forget 
know, the Bible has a lot to say about memories and about remembering. Uh, throughout the scripture, there's, there's a lot of passages where God will tell his people something along the lines of, remember what I did for you on this day. Or, or Israel's leaders will say something like, remember what God has done for you in the past. Remember his love. Remember his faithfulness. Remember how he's done this or that. The Psalms, full of that, over and over, and throughout the scripture. And, and today we come to a passage where Joshua and the people of Israel are told to remember. Now, before we look at this passage, I just want to recap for those of you who are with us for the first time, what we're doing in the book of Joshua. Over the past several weeks, we've been looking at the, the first few chapters of Joshua, and we're going to be in it for quite a while now. And, and our sermon series is titled, Promised Land Living. And the reason we're calling that is one obvious reason, because the story of Joshua is, is really the story of God's people moving across the Jordan River, out of the desert, into the promised land, the land that God had promised to them and their descendants. And how he works in their lives and brings victory and teaches them lessons and how they discover who he is and so on and so forth. But on another level, the, the promised land living title really applies to us as well, right? Because we're also on a journey and sometimes we feel like we're in the middle of a desert and sometimes we feel like something is keeping us from getting to the next stage, the promised land in our life, whatever that might mean or be for each of us. And so there are also lessons that we can take from what God did in the lives of the people of Israel and Joshua and apply them to our own today. And so this morning we come to this issue of, of memories. Psalm 105 verse 5 says this, Remember the wonders that he has done. Remember the wonders that God has done. Now that's, that's a powerful statement, isn't it? We could live with that one for quite a while. I mean, it's almost a, a mission statement for us, isn't it? Remember what God has done. Because keeping alive what God has done in our lives, keeping alive what he's done in the past and in our own life, what does it do? It feeds, it feeds us. It helps us grow. It helps us believe and have hope for the future and for the present. And so we come to this story in Joshua chapter 4. Let me set the context again. Uh, the people of Israel have come to the promised land. They're on the edge of the Jordan. And, and Moses has died. Joshua has taken the lead. The people are expecting to be in combat pretty soon because the people of the promised land aren't exactly just going to leave, are they? They have to be fought and, 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 and driven out. And over on the other side of this, 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 this river, there's this land that's described as flowing with milk and honey, but it's also filled with giants and, and ferocious people. And so the people come to this river, and the river is at flood stage, it's swollen, and they need a way through where there seems to be no way, and, and God does this for them. Let's, let's read this out of chapter 3, verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by 
until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. So there's a couple miracles that we want to look at real quickly before we move into chapter 4. Two things that happen. One, God causes the water to pull back, and then God causes the ground to be dried up. That allows all the men, women, children, cattle, everybody to cross over the river while the priests stand in the middle with, with the Ark of the Covenant. And these 12 stones that we're told are picked up by 12 men from the 12 tribes and put there. And after they pass through the river, the Ark of the Covenant comes out and the stones come out. And God tells them to build a, a monument, a, 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 a sort of an altar. The old hymn calls it an Ebenezer. And they build this monument and God says to do so, and they do it. Now, this wasn't the first time that God had called his people to stop and to, and to pause and, and to remember. Back in Exodus chapter 12, we have a, a powerful example of that. When God, um, during the Passover, remember the story of the Passover? The people are in slavery in Egypt. God tries to get Pharaoh's attention through different plagues. Pharaoh ignores it. And God sends the first, a plague upon the firstborn of every person, every son in the land. But the Israelite people are spared because they put the blood of a lamb over the doorpost and God passes over. The angel passes over them and they're saved. And then God commands them to remember it like this. Exodus chapter 12. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them. It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. So the Passover meal was to be celebrated as an annual reminder, and it still is to this day among the Jewish people, a reminder to them, to them that God had, had not forgotten them in the moment when they most needed him. Let me ask you, has God ever, has God ever come through for you? In your life, has he ever answered a, a prayer, a small prayer, maybe, maybe a huge prayer? Has God ever blessed you in a way that you didn't imagine and probably didn't deserve? Has God ever parted a water and opened a door that you never dreamed could be opened? If your answer is yes, and I hope it is as you go back in your memory, how often do you stop and remember those things? How, how often do you express gratitude, appreciation for God's intervention in his hand? You see, memorials or, or altars are about two primary things. First, they're to remember the past, both the good and the bad, and be inspired by it and to learn from it, to celebrate a person's life or an event. But they're also to show gratitude, right? To remember what somebody did for you is honorable and, and, it's, and it's noble, and it's right. And this is true when we thank our parents or our teachers or our, our, our leaders or spouses, but even more so is when we, when we thank our God. And so in Joshua 4, when the people pass through the Jordan into the promised land, the first thing God asks them to do is to stop and to create a lasting memory of the moment, something that will help them to remember. Verse 6 says that it was to serve as a sign among you. You know, people read signs, right? That's why advertisers spend lots and lots of money to put up billboards. You're driving down I-70 towards Colorado, or, or maybe you're driving towards Wichita on 135, and you see signs. Uh, 
if I'm going towards Wichita and I get close to McPherson, I see that Brahm sign, you know. It's hard not to pull over and get a, a chocolate malt or something like that. Or you're going towards Colorado, you're going and you come up to Oakley and it says, world's largest prairie dog. Has anybody ever stopped and seen that thing? Don't. Don't do it. <laughs> but, but signs catch our attention, right? And they, and they communicate a message to us. And the people of Israel were in this passage, Joshua 4, they were commanded to build a, a large sign, this, this, this stone memorial, this altar, that would forever say God came through for us on this day. He made a way for us where there did not seem to be a way. But how quickly we can forget, right? Is there any wonder why Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper? He knew how easily we can take him for granted and, and, and forget what he's done. And forget the power of God and the goodness of his hand to provide for us. And so to help us remember, Jesus said to his disciples, this is my body and this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. In other, to paraphrase, don't forget the power of, of my broken body. Don't forget my sacrifice for you. Don't forget my spilled blood for you. Don't forget. Is there any wonder why Jesus commanded his followers to go into all the nations and do what? Make disciples and baptize them, right? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We baptized nine individuals last Sunday. And baptism is a, is, a, is a visual reminder of Christ's death and his burial and his resurrection. It communicates to us the power of God to, to take what is dead and to bring life, to bring resurrection. You know, baptism helps us to remember that, that death has no sting, has no power over God's people. And so Jesus instituted baptism to help us Remember, just like he did communion. How often do you remember your birthday? We, we remember that, most of us, hopefully. Some, some of us don't want to remember it when the number gets a little bit higher, right? But we remember our birthday. We do a pretty good job of celebrating birthdays. We get cake, we give presents, we have parties, and those are good things, right? We should celebrate the life that we have with our friends and our family and loved ones. But how often do we celebrate our spiritual birthday? The day that Christ forgave us and, and brought us into his family and brought us into his kingdom. How often do we think back about what God has done for us on the cross? God has been good and we're called to remember. So back to Joshua chapter 4. Verses 6 through 7. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Now, sometimes when my kids were a lot younger, they would look at a picture of my wife and I, B.C., before kids, before children. And, and they would you know, when they see a picture of us maybe... Uh, you know, in Canada before we had Anna, our oldest, or maybe when we were dating or even a wedding picture. And, and they ask, where were you when that picture was taken? Because they have no memory, right? No knowledge of the past before they were born. 
And, and so it's our job as parents to be able to kind of fill in the blanks and let them know who we are and what our life was about and, 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 and what, what's happened when we grew up. And just so they have a sense of who we are and, and their family history and where they came from. And spiritually speaking, as, as followers of the Lord, as parents, as grandparents, as, as, as people in the family of God, our responsibility and our privilege is to do, do the same for our, our children. To let them know about who God is, who Christ is, how he's intervened for us, how he's changed our lives. So when they ask us, why do we do that? Why do we do this? How come this or that? Our job is to say, this is why. This is what God has done for us. This is the truth. This is how God has changed my life. This is when he has done something for me, intervened for me. Memory is so important. D.A. Carson, a theologian, says it this way. He says, memory plays an important role in any society. Without a memory, a person loses identity. And without a history to sustain it, a society and the world around it become virtually phantom. Any society that hopes to endure must become, as sociologists put it, a community of memory and of hope. And so when we partake of communion and when we look at the cross and when we do baptism, we remember but it also gives us hope, doesn't it? Because we believe that what God has done in the past, he will do in the present and he will do in the future for us. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The scripture promises us that. And so as a body of believers, we must remember where we have come from and what God has done in the past so we know how to move forward into the future and how to live in the present. God calls us to remember Remember what God has done for us really is, boils down to an emotion called gratitude. And so the, the question we need to ask ourselves today is, what am I thankful for? In what ways should I be thankful? And there, there are two broad categories of areas we can say we can be thankful for. First is, we should be thankful for the hard times because they increase our faith in the Lord. We know this from the example of Joseph in the Bible. Joseph, you remember his story? He was the, the youngest son of Jacob. He was the favorite. He was spoiled. His brothers resented him. And it got so bad that eventually they, they, they threw him in a pit. They sold him to slave traders. And they told his dad that he'd been killed by wild animals. And then it got worse. He was sold to a, a politician. The politician accused him of, of going after his wife. He's thrown in jail for several years. But then the story tells us that eventually things changed. The, the script flipped. And, and, and Joseph ended up being elevated to a place second only to Pharaoh in the land. And, and God then brings about reconciliation with him and his brothers. And he gets to see his father before his father dies. And Joseph says this about, what, about the bad things that happened in his life. In Genesis 50. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done now, the saving of many lives. He could see how God used the seeds of troubled times to bring forth a harvest of good. When's the last time that you thank God for hard times in your life? It's very easy to thank God when things are going well, right? It's not so easy to thank God when things are hard and difficult. It's hard to say, God, 
you're in the midst of this and I I don't see where it's going, but I still thank you for it because you're shaping me. You're molding me. You're preparing me for something down the line, helping somebody who goes through something similar, whatever it might be. Are we able to thank him even in the midst of hard times? Second thing that we can be thankful for is obviously the good things, the good times, because those can increase our joy in the Lord. Paul said this in Colossians chapter three, that the word of God, the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. You know, I grew up in a small country church and um, uh, let me just lay out there. The music wasn't nearly as good as it is here. It just wasn't. But I was so impacted because I'm, I'm a young kid. I'm, I'm looking around and there are people, you know, my grandparents age and older and, and they're just singing. Their voices are off kilter and they're, they're, they're a little bit louder. They don't know how loud they're singing. And, and, but, but, but it was moving to me because they were they were so sincere there was such a depth of, of gratitude in their lives. And, and it moved me. And, and it, it really impacted me. Gratitude. Because they remember what God had done for them through Christ Jesus. And it, would just, it just energized me. It motivated me. Inspired me. You know, I once did an outdoor wedding here in Kansas in early August, in the middle of, April, in the, middle of uh, the afternoon. If you're thinking about doing it, probably not a good idea. Uh, it was a beautiful ceremony, and, and, and the family, the, the, the couple, they loved each other. They loved the Lord. It was, it was a great day, but it was really, really hot. And I remember standing there, and, and we're going through the ceremony and, and just sweating and, and just uncomfortable. And it's like you're just you know, one of these things. You just can't. And, and it was so uncomfortable. But every once in a while, there's this gift that kind of came through. There's this breeze that kind of blew through once in a while. And it just was so refreshing and, and so reviving. That's what gratitude does in our lives. Gratitude lifts our, our spirit. It, it changes our perspective. It, it revives us. It takes our eyes off what's wrong in our lives and, and puts our eyes on what God has done for us, what is good and right and eternal. And we as Christians should be like that cool breeze, shouldn't we? We should, we should be full of gratitude, people who, who feel rich because the word of God dwells in us and because of what Christ has done for us. And we must never forget, we must always remember what God has done. And so this morning, as I close, I just want to encourage you um, in your mind, in, in your heart, to kind of construct an altar what are the things that God has done in your life and for you? What has he done that you're grateful for? What has he done for you that you need to, that you're called to remember? And certainly we must begin with what he's done for us on the cross. That he laid down his life for us, even when we didn't deserve it. He's offered us grace and forgiveness and life with him forever. Let's never, ever forget Let's always, always remember. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. And we do remember what he's done for us. And we are grateful. We thank you that on the cross, Jesus Christ did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He took care of our sins. He 
close the gap once and for all between us and a holy and perfect God. And so, Lord, by faith, we thank you for that. We thank you that when we come to Christ in faith and put our trust in him, that our problem is taken care of, our sin is forgiven, and that we don't need to fear death because we will share in the resurrection, just as Jesus set the example for us. Lord, help us to have the perspective of gratitude, to know the stories of Scripture, to reflect back on the stories of what God has done in our life, to be encouraged by what God is in the lives of others. And then, Lord, help us to be an encouragement to each other, but also to our children and those who come after us. Help us to build a memorial, in a sense, that when children and those behind us ask, what does this mean? We're able to say, it's because of God's love. It's because of God's grace. It's because he's good and faithful. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We're grateful, Lord Jesus. We, we thank you. Amen.